Hello, everybody. I'm Dr. Brian Hewlett, and welcome to 420 on the block. And we've got some people on the couch. Awesome. We've got Brian Vincente, uh, one of the lawyers who has uh, been involved in Amendment 64 and the legal uh, aspect of marijuana and cannabis and hemp here in the state of Colorado. And we also have on the couch Tyler Blanton. What's up? <laughs> Tyler is a uh, patient. And we're going to talk about a little bit about uh, his issue that he has and uh, how uh, it's connected to hemp, marijuana, and cannabis. But before we do that, uh, we want to welcome you all. It's such a beautiful day here in Colorado, right? <laughs> Gotta love that Colorado. <laughs> but it is 420, right? So Cannabis Advocacy Day, right? That's what we're calling it. So here we go. So first of all, um, you know, the, the first big question we have is, uh, you know, with uh, people like, you know, Brian Vincente, who is, uh, you know, an a, a esquire, uh, a four-star lawyer, right? How does somebody like uh, Brian Vincente end up on, you know, the couch with uh, Dr. Life? And we'll describe why they call me Dr. Life later, but how does that happen? Well, thank you, Dr. Life, and thank you guys for coming up to the stage. Really appreciate y'all being here on 420. Um, so I'm a lawyer. I've actually, I started doing this work in Colorado 15 years ago, uh, representing people who are dying with AIDS and cancer. It, it felt to me like they deserved to have access to medical marijuana. They were being arrested, things like that. So I would defend them in court. Uh, and over the years, I kind of was able to run some campaigns with some other colleagues, passed some laws in Denver, passed some laws in other parts of the state. And then ultimately in, in 2011 and 2012, we started organizing to make Colorado the first place in the world to legalize marijuana. So I helped write that law. Uh, I was one of the two authors of it, and I, I was co-directed that campaign. So a lot of war stories, a lot of ups and downs. We had things like death threats. We had cops chasing us around. But we knew in our hearts that I was right. We knew that marijuana, you know, people should have access to it if they're sick. If you're over 21 or over, you should have access to it. It's safer than alcohol. And so we, we fought that fight, and, and here we are. You know, Five years later, Colorado is really the model for how to regulate marijuana to the globe, and we've seen incredible ripples of change. So I know some of the people, these guys up front actually traveled from Cincinnati just to be here for the 420 Festival. Nice. She traveled in it. Where are you from? Okay, I got you. My man? Virginia. Virginia. Look at that. So, I mean, people are showing love to Colorado, and we love that you're here, man. There you go. Nice. So you actually uh, wrote some of the uh, policy or legal policy that we have in Colorado. I, I did, yeah. So it was, it's honestly a little humbling because my, myself and one of my colleagues sat down. We spent about six months writing Amendment 64. That is the law that legalized marijuana in Colorado. And it's actually in it. We wrote it to be in our state constitution. So we, I kind of felt a little bit like Ben Franklin or someone, like literally writing a part of the Constitution. Nice. We then presented it to voters after, you know, we, we, we got the we had signatures. We put it directly in front of voters. And, and thank God, voters in November of 2012, in fact, passed it. So now it is permanently enshrined in Colorado's Constitution that marijuana is, is legal. So it's, you know, it's a phenomenal thing. And, and again, we've seen some kind of ripples from there. But it was, a, it was a long, arduous process to kind of get from here to there. But it was worth the fight. All right. So, yes, long and arduous, but we still don't have, you know, full freedoms in, term of, in terms of uh, uh, participating in ways that we want to uh, or many people want to. But we do have uh, some freedoms as one of the states that has legalized it. And we'll come back to that in a bit. OK, 
But uh, first, let's uh, go down to uh, Tyler, who's on the very other end. So maybe he's, uh, you know, not as comfortable in the middle of the couch. But, you know, it's okay. <laughs> All right. So, Tyler, how do you uh, end up on my couch? What is, what is it about uh, you that, that brings you here? Um, well, a little bit uh, what brings me out to uh, Colorado, actually. It's funny. You said Virginia, right? Uh, actually, went to college out in Hampton, Sydney, Virginia, and uh, had to move out here from medical withdrawal due to Crohn's disease. Um, and I was on, I've had Crohn's disease since I was nine. I'm 21 now. And... Uh, Pharma has pretty much had that time to get it right, in my opinion. And uh, they had three surgeries and 12 different treatments. And uh, I continuously got worse. I was down to 115 pounds and moved out here and started cannabis. And, uh, and in six months, I have now achieved full remission on my Crohn's uh, due to cannabis. And nice. Yeah. Give him a hand. That's so full remission. I mean, uh, so you are actually a walking, uh, uh, what is it? A walking, uh, testament. testament. There you go. Or recommendation testament yes. of what can happen when you, uh, uh, participate with a plant and union and have a union with it in order to kind of help you heal. Yeah. And, uh, um, and it was, it was diet and some other stuff too, but it was just working with it in the full acceptance. And, uh, you know, I couldn't get it in Virginia. I got, I got, uh, arrested in college for seven grams. <laughs> so, uh, I couldn't, I didn't have access anywhere else. So I had to move out here. There you go. So arrested in college and you had to pay seven grand? No, I had seven grams. Oh, seven and grams. I got, okay. Gotcha. I got arrested for distribution. Wow. Okay. Well, uh, that's another thing. So we've got a legal professional on the couch, right? And we're talking about arrest. And we'll, we'll have a later, a couple sessions later, where we will actually talk about incarceration, uh, what we call weed incarceration, and uh, mass incarceration, and some other things. But this session of the couch, we are trying to focus more on uh, uh, wellness and health and legal issues relative to that. So, um, you know, one of the questions that I would now come back to uh, Brian and say, hey, uh, you know, uh, the laws as they are, uh, how does that uh, limit or how does that actually help uh, uh, wellness and medical uh, issues like Tyler's, the way the law is written now? Sure, sure. Well, I mean, the good thing is Colorado has a medical marijuana law, right? So people like Tyler can access medical marijuana legally here. Um, you know, Colorado passed this law in the year 2000. We now have 29 states with medical marijuana laws. Virginia, by the way, just just is opening up a process to get uh, licensed growers. Ooh, they just started this week. VA. Yeah, so it's <laughs> there. You go. So, so honestly, we're seeing movement we're across there. the country. It's a major sea shift on this cultural, you know, plane that we're on in terms of what's going on with marijuana. But I mean, Colorado's laws are, have been in effect since the year 2000. You know, people can access and 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 grow marijuana themselves, and uh, so you know we have many many recreational stores here. There are some medical stores as well, and it sort of differs in terms of what patients can can buy versus you know, members of the general public. So folks like yourself can get kind of higher strength products and larger quantities. They also pay a lot less tax. Uh, in addition to to writing uh, the legalization law, I actually ran the tax campaign uh, okay, the following nice. year, which which added the tax on recreational marijuana. But uh, but I was very clear that we were not going to tax uh, medical, right? Okay. And so medical is still not taxed. Medicine just should not be taxed, in my opinion. 
So uh, we've we've remained strong on that. There's a, a small sales tax on it, but yeah, for sure, man. It. Whereas there is a somewhat hefty recreational tax. So you can blame me for that if you want. But all right, thank you. So it sounds like you're saying um, the law as it's written is kind of uh, giving more access to people who have issues to uh, medical cannabis, uh, and it uh, is is less costly based on the law. I mean. Yeah, no, absolutely, absolutely. And if you think about it, I mean, it's, you know, for people who have been using marijuana medically, I mean, the argument is for about 10,000 years, right? You know, people have been using marijuana. And, you know, only really since 1996 that people used it legally in our country. That was when California passed their medical marijuana law. So we are now not no longer criminalizing patients in our country. There's still some states, there's some holdouts, but things are really getting better for patients. Okay. Uh, I, I kind of uh, agree with you on one end, but as a social scientist, uh, uh, a sociologist, a social researcher, I kind of uh, know trends in terms of uh, the way things e happen economically. And we know that uh, black market, right, uh, when it's providing something, uh, which means a market when things aren't legal, uh, usually actually uh, uh, provide their products uh, in terms of payment or in terms of uh, economically, uh, in terms of what financially has to be uh, put out for them, are less oftentimes when, uh, before something becomes legal. And then when it becomes legal and we have corporate, uh, uh, you know, corporate intervention and we have uh, 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 legislative, legislative uh, administration or uh, policies that, you know, uh, 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 control or often... Um, uh, dictate what's going on, that the prices often uh, uh, rise. So I'd like to you to address that. Uh, we have somebody else heading to the couch right now. Before you address that, let's uh, introduce Dr. Mark Brownstein. Right? There you go. All right. And let, we'll let him answer that question, then we'll come back to you. How's that? Welcome. Thank you. Sure. Well, you know, for me, at the end of the day, you know, if people are not getting arrested for medical marijuana, then I think we were making progress in this country. If the prices right. of medical marijuana are going to get higher, uh, as you know, GW Pharmaceuticals or other main, you know, large pharmaceutical companies enter this market, that's certainly possible. But you know, when myself and others wrote these marijuana medical marijuana laws, we specifically allowed individuals to grow their own marijuana. So that is legal in Colorado. It's legal in most right. medical marijuana right. states. So if you do, you want to stay away from the capitalist market and just grow your own medicine, you, you know, you have the right you to can. do so in Colorado. Absolutely. Yeah. Awesome. <laughs> All right. Well, let's uh, let's give uh, Dr. Bronstein a chance. To, and if, did I say that correctly? Bronstein a chance to uh, to introduce himself. The actually what we what we basically all did say is you know how does uh, you know a doctor other than this doctor, Dr. Uh, Brian Hewlett and Dr. Life, end up uh, with uh, someone so prominent like yourself uh, on our couch? And how does the how do you connect it to this issue or these two issues? Well, I'm very much involved in the medical marijuana industry. And can you hear me now? That's much better. So I'm very much involved in the medical marijuana industry. And I've been practicing uh, cannabis for med as medicine for almost 20 years now. And I think we have a friend in common that reached out to me that put yes, us in We do. And other. hopefully we'll see him on the couch yeah. soon. I think on Sunday. <laughs> yes. OK. Well, welcome. Thank you. Did you want to jump into those issues? Do you mind rephrasing a question for me? Yeah, well, we were actually uh, basically talking about uh, the, the actual laws and how they've been written. Uh, 
right? Uh, because uh, Brian here has actually uh, been a very prominent uh, person in the writing of the laws in Colorado. And so uh, that last question was just basically talking about, you know, whether prices will go up or if prices go up, how will that affect people uh, in terms of getting medical, medical treatment or using it as a medical treatment? And what might you think, you know, uh, as a doctor about that? Well, I think one of the great advantages of having a medical marijuana program in the state of Colorado is that people can get more affordable medication. If we all had to go to the rec store, to buy it, it would, we'd be in trouble, especially for people with cancer and conditions that necessitate taking a large amount of medication. So I really hope that we can keep the medical program going in Colorado. Yeah, I'm gonna piggyback off of that. Um, with the medical program versus the re recreational program that uh, Brian talked about earlier, the recreational programs are limited in their potency. So where they're limited to maybe a 100 milligram dosage, um, medical patient such as myself, I take 200 a day. So that's, you know, it's not affordable for me to go in there and buy medicine twice a day, every day. Um, and we can't, we can't afford to lose that program. If that program gets cut, then yeah, you're looking at spending six times the amount just to, just to survive. And, and another big reason to keep the program going is for people that do want to grow their own medication. If they are patients, this way they can grow more than just the six plants. And I, I just want to add, too, as, uh, the, the medical marijuana law in Colorado is, is in our state constitution. It passed in the year 2000, so it's, it's really not going to go away. But I think these gentlemen make some valid points, like, you know, are we going to see more people being pushed to the recreational market because you can gather more tax revenue there? Are we going to see prices go up on the medical side? These are all very relevant points, but the law will remain the law. So uh, as, a, as a medical professional, uh, Mark, uh, and you actually helped uh, uh, Tyler uh, move towards his uh, self-desired treatment, which uh, is really good. Um, but at the same time, you know, that can be controversial in terms of the medical world, in terms of uh, pushing people to kind of to, to self-prescribed kind of... Uh, of medical treatments, uh, and, and how does that kind of uh, uh, push the envelope in terms of legal issues? Because we're talking legal issues here, and we're talking, uh, you know, uh, cannabis is medicine, but at the same time, there's got to be some kind of, uh, uh, you know, balance here. So, so your thoughts on that? Well, I, so I really see the, the future in cannabis as medicine as doctors being able to recommend what type of medicine and how much of, how much of the medication to take and moving away from just self-prescription or moving towards what maybe a bud tender will recommend to the patients. So, and I know that is a gray area, um, but I, I think right now is that doctors can make recommendations of what to take and how much of what to take. And that's what I'm doing right now. And I'd love to hear from you on that. Yeah, no, that, that is uh, totally legal, right? So there's not a ton in marijuana law that's like black and white, but uh, the, we've, we've seen some, you know, cases go up through, uh, through the court system. And the most prominent one around doctors is called Conant v. Walters. It passed about 10 years ago. And it basically said this, a doctor can recommend whatever the hell they want to a patient. They can recommend they smoke bananas, like they, whatever it is, because it is 100% uh, free speech protected. It's a First Amendment issue, right? And so that really opened up and created space for, for you know, our brave pioneers like Mark and other, and other wonderful doctors to get out there and say, why don't you try medical marijuana? And in fact, they can talk about dosage and things of that nature. They don't always do that. They don't always feel comfortable. But it's, you know, we still have the First Amendment, so.
We have that going. Tyler, you want to chime in on that? I mean, uh, you know, had had there been, you know, uh, a, a lot more strenuous legal uh, limitations to you actually following up on a self-prescribed uh, program, what what would you feel? I mean, what do you feel might be uh, a difference in terms of the outcome that you? I'm just saying, had had the laws been more strict, uh, strict or strenuous about you uh, doing your own kind of program and not being able to go to say a doctor who's going to be able to prescribe that, what you're looking for, what would that, how would that affect it, you? It definitely goes both ways. I enjoy the aspect that I w felt safe. You know, obviously there's no overdose, so I felt safe in what I was doing in self-prescribing. Um, I would love for people, say a cancer patient that doesn't have that much time, to, they are able to go to somebody like Mark and get a more accurate description of what they should use rather than just walking into a dispensary uh, lost. Okay. So he gives them some general direction and he definitely helped me. Okay, good. Well, it sounds like we're, we're basically all on board, you know. I, I'm on I'm, I'm on the couch, so I have to also be on both ends of the couch. Uh, we don't have a co-host for this session, but if we had the other end of the couch, you know, we might have somebody who's saying, well, hmm, can we just have every doctor or, you know, uh, just deciding, hey, you can uh, use this or use that, uh, or because a person wants to come in and, and have that or okaying that, you know? So if I was on the other end of the couch, I might say that that's not, doesn't that kind of uh, defeat the, the purpose of having medical professionals who can actually uh, decide better for us in terms of people who aren't medical people uh, what we need? But, but I think, and that speaks to like a, a cultural question of with all the direct-to-patient marketing on TV and stuff, a lot of people go into the doctor knowing what they want. Right. And so in some ways, doctors do just help patients to get what they're already wanting. But that's only some people. Some people also want to go to the doctor and be told what to take. And I think with um, the, the next wave of cannabis patients, what I'm seeing is people that are totally naive to cannabis. Mm -hmm. And if, it, um, it, cannabis reaches all political and religious affiliations, man. And so people that have never thought about using cannabis going in, they want to be told how much. So you're you're basically saying that people are might be you know coming to doctors and changing uh, what the doctor is for, like they might come to to be more educated about what they're doing rather than just coming in as a as a sick person uh, and and, and and getting a, a you know a, a band aid on their sickness. Absolutely, a lot of cannabis patients are, are so want to be so involved in their wellness and, and not just and they're also I think a lot of people who are turning towards medical cannabis have some disenfranchisement with the typical medical system. All right, anyone else want to chime in on that disenfranchisement with the disenfranchisement with the medical system? What about you, Brian? Do you think uh, as a legal professional that the medical system has some issues? It's got issues, yeah. So does, so is the legal <laughs> profession though. I mean, honestly, but um, I mean, I do think that, you know, I, there, there is, uh, to the doctor's point, I mean, there's a, a wave of people in this, this, this country that want, that care about wellness, they care about CBD products, they care about getting away from pharmaceuticals, they care about getting away from opiates. 
and they're, they're willing to try different medicines, they're willing to be advocates for their health, and we're just fortunate that we have laws that now allow them to not be criminalized for using medical marijuana, and we are fortunate to have doctors that will stand up and, and write in recommendations so they can be legal. And uh, to tag on that, uh, you know, what Mark said, these people that are naive coming to the industry, they've, you go to a doctor with a headache, you ask for, they give you Tylenol. My headache's still here. Okay, take two more Tylenol. We're not quite at the point where if I go to Dr. Mark, I'm like, my stomach hurts. Well, here's a joint. My stomach still hurts. What do I do? Right. We're not quite at the point where we know exactly what to do. And uh, I think it's federal, uh, federal, what's it called? Limitations release on that. Uh, we'll see more. Okay, well, well uh, let's, Direction. me being the... Uh, executive director of a foundation called uh, uh, the Foundation and Ministry of Life, and life means limitless ideas and free environments. And uh, uh, our auction that we have here that our artists are doing uh, relative to education and, and advocacy program is actually benefiting a new fund called Limitless Access Fund, which is all about trying to free people uh, from those limitations to do things like, uh, you know, participate in art and music and, uh, you know, be able to freely get uh, the medical treatments and things that they need. I, I can't leave the couch uh, or not, not leave having you guys on my couch without talking about the big pharma issue, you know. Um, you know, uh, we know that uh, there are big pharmaceutical companies would, uh, are, that today control you know, our uh, medicines and, and the distribution and the prices that are relative to that, you know, if they get their hands, let's face it, into the uh, medical cannabis industry, you know, uh, that may or may not, let's say, be a wonderful situation. And I, I want to kind of address that uh, with three different people here on the couch that might have their views relative to that. I guess I'll, I'll kick it off. We'll go down. We'll go down the controversy. Couch. Controversy is set in. Uh, well, I'm, I'm willing to bet there's not a whole lot of big pharma fans on the couch, but um, you know, I mean, we we are at a unique moment in time where marijuana is going to be legal at the federal level within the next five years, right? And what does that mean, right? That basically means that that big pharmaceutical companies will be able to start coming into this space. Now, I think we've got enough of a head start where you have, you know various uh, dispensaries and other uh, medical marijuana businesses that are represented here and around the country that will have a foothold in this market. But I think we are going to see, you know, pharmaceutical companies come in. It's probably good in some ways. They'll be able to do clinical tests and research, in a, you know, grow marijuana cheaply and bring it to Alabama or wherever. We're not necessarily going to have, like, robust medical marijuana programs, but, but where there are sick people that need that, that those pills that they're going to be making or what have you with marijuana. Um, so it's, it's a bit of a mixed bag, but, I mean, I, we have to realize that there change is coming. And, you know, it's important to support our local businesses while recognizing that, you know, Big Pharma is going to get in at some juncture. So I think the thing that we can do to promote ourselves the most right now would be any research that we could get going before nice. Big Pharma can <laughs> be supporting the research. Right. Because if we wait till, if we wait for the research to be done when they're paying for it, then they're going to have a much larger foothold in the industry, squeezing out more of the mom and pops. What are you, are you saying you don't trust Big Pharma to do uh, objective research? Come on. Well, no, it's not that, but none of us want Big Pharma making all of our weed. There you go. Sure. All right, Tyler, what's, what's your? Both of them kind of 
said everything I was going to say in the sense that from, from a studying aspo- aspect, there's uh, great things that can come of it, you know. Um, but if we can know those studies beforehand and not be subjected to big pharma, then all the better anyway. Awesome. Well, it's getting really cold on the couch, but and I don't know how much time we have left. Uh, we have three minutes, so <laughs> I guess I should... Uh, I thank our guest uh, for joining us on the couch, and uh, we hope uh, that uh, you'll join us again as we plan to continue this uh, kind of podcast uh, and uh, bring people like yourselves back. And uh, we want to thank our sponsors because uh, we have sponsors for the couch. First of all, we have uh, Hemp and Heal, which uh, has a lounge over there, and we're going to invite our speakers here, our couch guests, to head on over there and uh, enjoy the Hemp and Heal uh, Lounge. And if you want to have a few questions, if our audience wants to talk to people, maybe you can, uh, you know, mingle over there and have a a little bit of fun with them. We also like to thank Spectra uh, Art Space, who also uh, helped to provide a little atmosphere for the couch, even though they're art was blowing around, but I want to give you a a little indication of their art for a second. Hold on. If you can see me, I'm not a big skater, but skateboarder, but uh, look, you know, you can get your skateboard uh, painted and uh, and decorated by the peeps at Spectra Art Space. So uh, if you're a skateboarder, you just like, you know, hanging things like this on your uh, wall, you can you can do that. They also have an incredible amount of artists who are, because they're an artist collective, just like we have here at the uh, Fox Street compound. And uh, we're really happy as a uh, festival to be supporting the arts uh, here in the city of Denver. So thanks again. And uh, we hope to see you guys all in the future. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, guys. Thank you, guys.